I have been amazingly blessed. I just can't tell you. I mean, I giggle at the strangest times. I felt so overpowered by what God's doing. I am just as pleased as I can be. But I'm going to go a different direction this evening. I'm going to throw up a warning because in actual practice, it's a very dangerous thing to preach what I did this morning. It's a very dangerous thing. How dare you take that much authority upon yourself? How dare you do things that we've never heard anybody do before? How dare you proclaim things that I mean, have you, ever, have you ever been given a year of Jubilee at John Day Nazarene Church? No? It doesn't always go easily. And here's the reason why. And Imogene pointed out to me, I no more got downstairs and she was right there. She said, you know what? They didn't always do it like they said they were supposed to. I said, oh, I know that. You know why I know it? Jewish leaders made very good lawyers. Very good lawyers make very good contracts. Very good contracts have clauses that exclude possibilities of people taking their possessions back when the Jubilee comes. And so they actually, when you have someone over a barrel, you have them sign agreements that they even sign over their Jubilee rights so they can keep the properties. Do you remember people like King Ahab? He wanted a vineyard. He thought that vineyard should have just been made as a tax-deductible contribution to the government. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure just how he had it phrased, but he wanted Naboth's vineyard. Naboth didn't want to sell it. Naboth died under mysterious circumstances. Ahab got the vineyard. Amazing. And he didn't have to give it back because there was nobody to give it back to. Why do people not want to recognize the Jubilee? Because it goes against our grain. It goes against our human nature. What's mine is mine, and I don't want to change my thinking. I don't want to change my idea. I don't want to change my thoughts. Let me just share with you a story, and I'm going to read it because I love this story. It's, it's a passion of mine. It comes in the Gospel of John. It's the ninth chapter. Now, I don't know, while you're looking that up, I'll babble for a while, and then you just kind of listen while you're looking up John 9. In the Gospel of John, there are seven miraculous signs. The Gospel writer of John is a very meticulous writer, and he has selected seven signs of the divinity of Jesus Christ 
that absolutely, taken in their entirety, prove that without any exception, every element of human existence is under his authority and his power. Okay? This is the sixth of the miraculous signs. It is the most powerful miraculous sign up to this point, the most miraculous of all of the miraculous signs in the Gospel of John, before we get to the resurrection of Lazarus. And so it just keeps building and building and building and building and building. And the Jewish leaders are having difficulty because words coming back to them of all these amazing things, and they keep saying, well, you can't believe all you see. I mean, there are a lot of things that you can... And, and they keep postponing any kind of confidence they might have in Jesus, saying, well, you, you know, you, you people are just so easily fooled. You're so easily tricked. And then we come to chapter 9. Here we go. As he went along, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Uh, maybe I'll just take a second. Do you know what the most, re, most common uh, cause of blindness is in biblical times? Gonorrhea. Sexually, trans, sexually transmitted disease from being promiscuous. Who sinned? Somebody sinned. This baby, and what happens with gonorrhea is when it's born, the baby can see, but over the first two years, the, the eyes slowly deteriorate with the infection of the syphilis or gonorrhea. They both have similar, and, and they lose their sight. All right? So the question was sort of legitimate in one sense. Here we have a, bl a blind man. He's been blind for many years. Who sinned? Tell us. Reveal to us. Who the culprit is. Okay? Well, it wasn't that far off, but neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, and while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Um, it's very interesting. Um, he... Okay, I'm, I'm going to do the rainbow thing, David. All right? All right, you, you, you hit me this morning. A rainbow is nothing but light broken it into its individual patterns. And when you have the rainbow wrapped around Almighty God, as you wrote this morning, or shared with us this morning, it just shows that the light in all of its fullness is complete. It's, it's every color of the spectrum is there. It's included. And it is a full spectrum of light. It's a wonderful thing to see a rainbow. Um, so, I'm sorry, we the minute the prayer breakfast, we know what we're talking about here, but the rest of you just have to read Noah for yourself and figure that out. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. 
Go, he said to him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was. Others said, No, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then did your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, The man called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been born blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Why is that a problem? Do you know what the Sabbath is supposed to What? No work on the Sabbath? What was the work that he did? The healing? No, the mud. You can't pick up mud. All right? You can spit on the dirt, but you can't pick it up. All right? You cannot even walk from here out to the door with a straight pin in the hem of your clothing because that means you're dragging that extra pin all the way over there. I'm serious. And the... And do you need to kind of get the any violation of the Sabbath law was preached for generations that it it held back the full faithfulness of the people and postponed the appearance of the Messiah. So any violation of the Sabbath meant that it was going to take longer for the Messiah to come and show salvation to the world. I just tickle myself to death thinking, here's the Messiah doing what a Messiah does, and they're scolding him because he's not letting the Messiah come. Isn't that cool? Or stupid, or however you phrase it. But it was they're arguing over the rules that say that you can't have a... Okay, so that was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees had asked him, uh, who had now received his sight. He, how, did, how he received his sight? He put mud on my eyes, he replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinner do miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and, they re- and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say who was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had already prejudged and decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That's why the parents said, he's of age. Ask him. And a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. 
Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. That's called loading the gun. Do you understand what I'm saying? Give glory to God. We already know this is a man who's a sinner, so don't cross us and give us the wrong answer. Or you'll pay. All right? All right, so they loaded the gun on him. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. It was a simple fact. Then they asked him, how did he do it to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples also? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are a fellow, this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses, and we know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You know where he, you don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly men who do his will. Nobody has ever, no one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped at sin and birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. All right. I love that story. I call him the boy with the misshapen eyes. All right? And sometimes when I tell the story to kids and that kind of stuff, I actually pretend that I'm the boy with the misshapen eyes. And I tell my story as though it's a first-person tale that I'm telling. All right? I kind of become that individual. The, the question that we ask is, how did they know he was born blind? In other words, you held babies, and lots of times they look all funny and the eyes don't follow and you can't move your finger and see that they see or anything. How do you know he was blind at birth? Well, the simple answer is, he didn't have the equipment to see. Yes, we're gone. There, there was no optic equipment to receive light and see. The boy was born. The midwife said, this boy is blind. It didn't take much of an, optometr an optometrist or an ophthalmist. Boy, I'm getting my tongue wrapped around my eye teeth. I can't hardly see. <laughs> to figure out this was a boy who would never, ever, ever see. I want to go one step farther if I can. I used to live next door to a great uh, eye doctor. <clears throat> and he said, shared with me one day we were talking about this particular parable or story, and he said, that's a double miracle. And I said, a double miracle? He said, yeah. A child who has problems with their eyesight and he was in the business of making the smallest children able to see. All right? 
the eye does not function effectively for quite a long while after the child is born. And it has to have a certain degree of light, and it has to have a certain degree of functioning eye. The retinas and the lenses all have to be correct in order to develop the optic nerve that travels back to the brain. And so the eyes are not fully developed at birth. And if they don't get stimulation, if, they don't, if they're not used, when I, my oldest son was born, uh, he screwed his eyelids closed so tight, we didn't see what color his eyes were for days. Uh, <laughs> but it, 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 he just didn't like the light. He was very sensitive to light, still is today. All right? But um, we had to go into a darkened room to actually peek in and see if there were eyes in there. Uh, <laughs> but if he didn't get the stimulation, the optic nerve would not develop. So this boy not only did not have eyes, he didn't have the optic nerve. So when Christ recreated his eyes in the healing with the, that happened at the pool, he recreated the nerve and the, the pathway through which the stimulation from the eyes would be recorded in the brain. That is something no one in any time in history, all the way up to this point in 2016, has ever been able to do. Okay? It still can't happen today. Right. And make it fully functional. I mean, not just create the first one like it was when he was born, but a fully functioning optic nerve. Okay? Now, why did they have problems believing this? Why did they not want to accept the Jubilee, the freedom from blindness, the freedom from being able to enjoy a life. Being blind in that time meant it was just an extended death sentence. When was he going to die? When he ran out of food, when he ran out of neglect, all kinds of things. I mean, he had all kinds of things stacked against him. His parents had spent a whole lifetime under the condemnation and the judgment, the ridicule of their neighbors and friends because somebody sinned or your child would not have been blind. And so it had to be you. I mean, they had been ripped up and down and back and forth and been scandalized in every imaginable way because of the disability of their son. They were being liberated too. Why did it not want to be accepted? Because mercy is not a very popular concept. Freedom, forgiveness, the release of bondage is not easy to accept. It changes how we think of the world. It changes our assumptions. The disciples said, who sinned? They were looking for someone to blame. It was easy. Everybody knew who sinned. No. Jesus said, no. No. This is a God thing. This was prepared by the Father in heaven for this time. 
so that he could reveal his glory. Something that had never been happened before. Okay? But it's shocking. It's... If you have spent your entire life teaching that if you sin, God will send you a blind child. If you sin, you will be condemned and cursed. If you sin, you will be judged and correctly judged, and you will be sent into torment, and you will be sent into uh, a humiliating lifestyle. And then all of a sudden comes along this man who says, no, God wanted to show you what he could do. This is so that God can show you who he is. It doesn't go down easy. All right. Just for a second, I want to jump back to Leviticus, where we were this morning. This is now in Leviticus 26. We, we leave Leviticus 25, where we were this morning, about how the, the rules of the um, Jubilee, the rules of, of what God did to set people free. So Leviticus 26. And you're going to see two things that are contrasted with each other. All right? You'll see one side, and then you'll see the other side. And this is the way even people right here in our own community are going to see the sermon this morning. Okay? And here's the way it goes. Starting with verse 1. Do not make idols or set up any image or sacred stone for yourselves. Do not place a carved stone in your land or bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Okay? Sounds a little bit like the first, uh, first command. i got to be God, and none of you are going to put anything in place of that. All right? Obey my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. That's my house. And I'm a jealous God, and I want you to observe these things. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season. We must be in the right season. Okay? And the ground will yield its crops, and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will continue until the grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until the planting and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. Boy, he could be elected president. What a campaign promise. No, he didn't want to be president. He wanted to be God. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. He has the power to do it. The president don't. Okay? But the reward is offered. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase one hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. 
what he's saying here is, I'll keep my part of the covenant. I'll do my part if, the big if, you keep your covenant, your part of it. Okay? You will be, you will still be eating last year's harvest when you have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. It goes back to Genesis again, doesn't it? We're going to be back in that day-to-day, walk-in-the-evening fellowship again. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. This is going to be fantastic. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with your heads held high. What a jubilee that one was. I broke the bars and you were free. Whoops, now, change tone. Okay, you ready? You got your seatbelts fastened because it's going to be whiplash here, okay? But if you do not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, now he's talking about the Jubilee. He just, this chapter is connected to the Jubilee. All right? Do you follow? It's not a separate issue, we're talking about what we continued to talk about this morning. I will bring upon you sudden terror, shocking kind of things, wasting diseases, and a fever that will destroy your sight and drain away your life. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will come and eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies and those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. Boy, now that's a scaredy cat. <laughs> you just heard somebody was coming. You headed for the hills. All right? <laughs> and if after this you will not listen to me, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. You remember what uh, Jubilee is all about? Six years, and then the seventh is the jubilee. I'm going to punish you for a whole jubilee period. And you're going to be going, whoa, I'm not going to make that mistake again. All right, I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. And your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of the land yield their fruit. And if you remain hostile to me, oh, I could go on and on, and refuse to listen to me, I will multiply your affliction seven times over as your sin deserves. I will send wild animals. Ooh, this is depressing. I've got to stop. Then why did they reject the man who was born blind now being able to see? Didn't they know the law? This is Leviticus. This is not a small scripture. Do you know what they call Leviticus in the Jewish word? It's the Torah. 
It's the word that God gave them that would never, ever, ever change. It was the, the permanent, inspired, divine word. And every time they take the Torah out of their locked cabinets that are so wonderfully created, and they hold the scroll so carefully before they even open the case, and they kiss the, the, the case that holds the Torah, and they hold it as though it was life itself, and they lay it on the table, and they open the case, and they roll out the scroll, they are reading the words of life. Read the Sermon on Moses when he gave them at the end of his life. It's just like this. These are the words that God ordained. This is a law they know backwards and forwards, and they have memorized it. They have every chapter and verse. I'm sorry, they didn't have it divided in chapters and verses, okay? That's a phrase we use because somebody back a million years ago or so, they said, was riding on a donkey and put a slash mark every time he bounced down the... All right, I, I, I sort of halfway agree. But somebody said, do not accept this as inspired because he was in transit, all right? I don't know whether that's true or not, but that was sort of the story that was passed around, all right? They knew it. They recited it back and forth to each other. They knew it intimately. They challenged each other how well they could remember it word for word. Why didn't they? I mean, what's the downside of saying, wow, that's cool. A man who was born blind. Wonder what happened under that mud. Well, we won't know because the mud just kept us from being able to see the miracle happen. All right, it was sort of like a, 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 the veil that we talked about the first Sunday. It just closed us so we couldn't see what he was doing just kept us from being able to see the miracle happen. But then all of a sudden, the mud was washed away, and there were eyes. Why didn't they recognize him? Well, he's no longer the boy with the misshapen eyes. He was dressed the same way. Because he had been a beggar, he probably had rotten teeth and all the other kinds of things, because nobody could show him how to take care of things, he probably smelled just as bad. <laughs> I mean, these guys just sat along the road. I mean, and the roads in those days had a lot of animals. And animals made very bad smells. And when you were sitting in the street, you smelled like the street. Is this the guy who was called the man born blind? Well, yeah, he looked like it. His clothes were rotten. His hair was unkept. He was a beggar. But his eyes were there. Was he or was he not? What's the downside of accepting it? The downside of accepting it is this. We have to accept the giver of sight as God. That's the problem. That is the issue. 
And they couldn't do that. They couldn't say, this is our Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for to fulfill Isaiah 61. There are people who will say, it is not in my best interest to forgive those who have said bad things about me. There will be those who say, I don't want to let them off the hook. You ever heard that expression used before? Why? It gives me leverage. It gives me power. It gives me something I can use to manipulate things. If I forgive, I got nothing. There are going to be people who say, I simply can't forgive because I can't forget. There are going to be people who say, it is not in my best interest to say, let bygones be got bygones. I don't want, I don't want to feel good and close to people that right now I have pushed safely out of my circle of influence. Welcoming them back in is uncomfortable. What I said this morning is, God expects us to set those people free. It's not something that's all that strange. Jesus taught us how to pray. Father, forgive us. How, what's the next phrase? As we forgive those who have transgressed against us. It's sort of clear. Jesus said Jubilee ought to be an ongoing process of setting people free by forgiving and letting them off the hook. I missed a council meeting one time. I won't again. Count that, David. I'm not missing another council meeting. All right? Because on the day I was coming back from vacation, they were holding council meeting, and there were people on the board who decided it was time to show me who was boss, and they took $1,000 out of my salary. Yeah. One-twelfth. Gone. Did they ask about it? No. Did they see if it was okay with me? No. Did they discuss it with me? No. How did they get it voted? How did they get all the votes they needed to do it? I want you to understand. If you've been in God's work very long, you better get really good at forgiving. Follow my point? you better get really, really good at forgiving. And the reason why is because God 
ordains, God demands, God instructs us, and we better not argue with him, to forgive. And I simply hold out my hands when I face one of these events, and I say, no holes yet. They haven't used the nails on me yet. And until that happens, I'm off pretty easy from what they did to Jesus. And I can forgive. The day of Jubilee is tough. It's hard work. It goes against our nature. It goes against the way we normally do business. But when I read Leviticus 26, and I go, let me think, should I agree or should I hold out and try and keep from obeying God's command for Jubilee? And I look at the penalty you pay, <laughs> and suddenly it doesn't look all that attractive. <laughs> It looks sort of like, ooh, that's not good. Remember, one of the things that it said is, I'll inflict you with diseases that will take away your sight. Isn't that interesting? The man who was born blind has his sight restored, and those who reject him and his healing open themselves up to the judgment of God that they lose their vision. I have shared with you what I had prepared. David asked me last week, he said, I think it would be a great fun to have feedback if anybody has questions or things they want to share that, that came to your mind while I was sharing. And boy, if you, if you don't have questions or something, responses after this morning and then this evening, maybe I didn't make it clear enough. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts about what we've shared? <laughs> 